Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and my guest this week is Andrew Ginter. Andrew, how you doing? Doing really well today. Thank you. Well, thanks for being here. And you have been in this building before. We're recording this at what is now Asher Agency. But tell me about the last time you were in this building, because it was not Asher Agency at that time. Definitely not Asher Agency. Uh, 30 years ago, my parents uh, were actually part-time cleaners of this building. And so they would take myself, uh, my older brother, and younger sister, and basically like a couple nights a week, come in and just vacuum and dust and all that kind of stuff. And and I have vivid memories. Thank you for showing me the, the stairs. I have vivid memories of the stairs going down the side of the building that used to take you outside to a glass door uh, that are obviously shuttered now and creepy. So. Yeah. Yeah. It is very creepy. So I don't often have the opportunity to show people the creepy staircase that goes nowhere, but Andrew, you are the first. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I obviously the, the, the stairs that surround that, that kind of circle up, that makes sense, but like vivid memories of playing with my GI Joes huh. on the stairs with my brother and sister. All right. Well, yep. I, I'm glad to hear that you were playing and that your parents weren't exploiting you for child labor. At that yeah, time. no, no, no. They, they were good, good Christian people. They didn't do that. Okay. All right. Well, good. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. Um, you and I met through Weil and I, and we can talk a little bit about your involvement with that organization. But I want to start with your career path and talk about how you, because you have a really interesting career path if what you're saying on LinkedIn is accurate, I'm sure it is, mm -hmm. where there's a little bit of distilled spirits and then there's something completely different. So start at the beginning. What When did you first start thinking about what you might want to do as a career? Where did that take you and where did you go from there? Is it fair to say that I'm still kind of like a, a little kid trying to figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life? If if I am any yeah. any example, then yes, it is still fair. Okay. So when I was in college, I actually wanted to be uh, the concierge at a hotel. Um, I remember the movie with Michael J. Fox called For Love or Money. Okay. Um, where he was this pseudo concierge kind of guy in right. New York City, falling in love with this big wigs girlfriend. Okay. And I was just like, man, that is the coolest job ever. He's buying Broadway tickets. He's getting kids to Yankees games. I want to be that. Yeah. Making everybody happy. Yeah. yeah. So so when I was in college, I, I got a job at the front desk so that I huh. could do my homework from three to 11 o'clock at night. Oh, wow. Um, and, and inevitably, when I moved back from Fort Wayne, moved back to Fort Wayne from South Bend, uh, Taking my college courses, I ended up in a, a beer, wine, and spirits appreciation course huh. as a part of my hospitality degree. Okay, and uh, and just fell in love with the idea of, you know, just distilled spirits and wine specifically about how they bring together people through community and uh -huh. through a, a mutual love of what those things are. Huh. Uh, and and uh, and I was fortunate enough to be able to kind of put that into a first career, if you will. Wow. Yeah, that's super interesting. So. I, I'm going to forget to ask this question if I don't ask it now. If you were to recommend a spirit, what what are what are your top choices in that area? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's very trendy to sit here and say I'm a huge bourbon fan, mm -hmm. but it's it's absolutely true. Okay. But I'll say this: uh, Fort Wayne. Before I became like the on-premise guy in Fort Wayne, uh, didn't really understand what Old Forester bourbon was. Okay. And Old Forester is my favorite bourbon. I don't care that it costs $20 for a fifth. Mm -hmm. um, Old Forester is made by Brown Foreman, okay. which uh, makes Woodford and Jack Daniels. All right. And the master distiller at Woodford, his name is Chris Morris. Uh -huh. And the only thing that distinguishes Old Forester from Woodford is the water source, uh, because obviously Woodford uh, 
they've got a very specific water source out where mm-hmm. the distillery is. Uh, Old Forester is actually distilled uh, more closely to Louisville. Um, and then the char and the toast on the barrel. Those are the two things that differentiate Woodford from Old Forester. Okay. And so it's like a poor man's old Woodford. All right. Uh, but I, I love it. And they've got so many different labels. Uh, they've expanded their offerings. It's beautiful stuff. All right. Well, um, the, the, the stepdad of my fiance uh, is my bourbon procurement person who I go to his house and he hands me one and yes. I'm like, whatever you're serving me is fine. So I will have to reciprocate with a bottle of Old Forester next yeah. time I go there. Yeah, All right. They've got like the distillers line, uh, kind of like commemorating their, their anniversary. And it's, it's really, really solid stuff. All right. Well, listen, everyone, free advice about <laughs> booze on this show. Okay. So I took you down a path, but let's come back to where we were. So you're in the hospitality industry, which leads to some work in the distilled spirits industry. Mm-hmm. What do you do then and why do you make that switch? Yeah, uh, it, I, I fell in love with wine and I was selling to grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you really do learn a lot about marketing from a very surface level mm-hmm. when you're interacting with brands uh, that have a national presence like they do in the wine industry. Yeah. Um, and so I was able to really learn from my suppliers as they come and did market visits, uh, you know, talking about, I mean, marketing isn't just about Google ads or, you know, how your website is displayed and and how people interact with the information on your website, but it's also about shelf placement in mm-hmm. a, a store or, uh, you know, case placement within a grocery store as yeah. well. I mean, you know, you're talking about ABC locations. This is all marketing. Mm-hmm. And so it's like these little, little introductions to marketing as I would go throughout the, you know, probably near 75 grocery stores that I called on wow. in the seven years, six years that I was calling on grocery stores. Yeah. And then uh, to, for me to get more experience, I thought nothing better than to jump into the on-premise world, which is bars and restaurants. Yeah. And so I moved back here from Indianapolis. Okay. uh, Back to Fort Wayne and jumped into working with bars and restaurants. And that just opens up your world even more. Oh, sure. You're no longer thinking shelves and placement. You're thinking menus and mentions Mm -hmm. and you're thinking actual events for the Mm -hmm. first time ever. And how do you promote things through social media? Because you know, restaurants use social media widely. It's probably their number one platform that they use to get information out. Yeah. Um, and so you're all of a sudden collaborating with business owners on how to best promote your product through their trusted pages yeah. to great, to get more people to come in the doors. Well, and I'm sure a ton of it is top of mind awareness, not just with consumers, but with servers, you know, like I just asked you, you're going to go to a place and say, Hey, what do you recommend? And mm-hmm. that's going to make or break your brand. If you're on the mind of the server, or if you are not on the mind of the server. Absolutely. And, and a lot of that, and, and I think a lot of the success, and I say that timidly, the success that I've experienced in my career is is mostly through relationship building. Uh-huh. Because, you know, again, as much as paid advertising and things like that are, are imperative, uh, a lot of people will become advocates for your brand and market your brand for you, depending on the relationship that you have with them. Yeah. I mean, I've been removed from the alcohol world for the better part of five years now, but I know for a fact, I can still walk into wind down right yeah. next to Parkview field. And Gary's going to come in and say, hello, Andrew. And there may be, you know, one of five different bartenders behind the bar who know that I'm a bourbon guy. And if they've got something new, I want to try it. Yeah. I mean, these are relationships that I've not cultivated professionally Mm -hmm. in over five years, but they still exist because of the work that I did previously. Yeah. And it really comes down to trust. You know, people will trust your brand based on 
advertising and promotion signals, but they'll trust it more if they have a relationship with someone tied to the brand for One, sure. 100%. Yeah. All right. So you're you're doing work with bars and restaurants, then where do you go from there and why do you make that switch? Yeah. So I, yeah, cultivating the relationships in bars and restaurants, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, met my wife while I was doing that, right. which is perfect. Okay. Uh, she thought I was a high roller because I could <laughs> just go out and spend company money all the time. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, in the midst of that, uh, I decided it was time for me to get a, a change. I wanted to experience a an industry that I didn't have any familiarity mm -hmm. with. And uh, I decided to go and I tell people I spent a misspent year, a little over a year with uh, Carfax, which is an IHS market organization. Yeah, uh, Most people know it from the Carfax. Yep. Um, I was the guy that was driving around in a brand new Jeep Cherokee with uh, the car, like the Carfax emblazoned on the side <laughs> of it. Yeah. Visiting dealerships working with them on their marketing strategy to use Carfax, so a lot of co-branding. Sure. Um, and then working with them to teach them how best to use the auto reporting that the company offered and make most use of their very expensive membership with Carfax. Yeah. 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 And that and that was really a sort of third-party endorsement play, correct? 100%. You can feel better about buying this car from us because it's it has a Carfax record. Is that? Yeah. In, 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 all, in all reality, I, I tell people that, you know, Organizations like Brown Foreman and other Marriott, things like they're great at marketing. But dude, if you are an organization like Carfax and you market in such a way that you are changing the entire perception of anybody who's going out to buy a used car yeah, because people are used to it. They may not outright say, show me the Carfax like Carfax would like them to yeah. do, but they know if they are buying a used car without a vehicle history report, they might be getting something kind of shady. Yeah, And so Carfax, you know, came into be I don't know, the mid eighties in, mm -hmm. in Columbia, Missouri. And they worked diligently to buy those auto records to uh, change the perception. They originally started selling to dealerships. Hey, show your consumer that they're getting a better deal by giving them an auto history report. Mm -hmm. And then in the late nineties is when we started seeing the commercials yep. with the guy wrecking the car being flooded and they changed, they, they flipped the script and said, you know what? No, like these dealerships, they want to serve the customer. So, why don't we have the customer ask them for this? Mm. And it, it just completely flipped it. And their business model was built on uh, customer demand for a product that eventually a car dealership felt they had to have. Wow. Wow. So it's it's kind of like the ask your doctor about you know, 100%. Chantix or whatever it is. Yeah. Yep. Might not fly in the European Union, but here in yeah. the United States, 100% huh. okay. Interesting. So why do you call that a misspent year? Um, it's It's an amazing organization. I learned so much uh, from not just a co-branding marketing strategy standpoint, um, but I was the very beginning of their used car listings application. Um, and that introduced me to the ideas behind SEO and mm -hmm. SEM, mm -hmm. uh, things that things that from a relationship standpoint for marketing, I never really had to think about. Yeah. Um, it introduced me to really what is the importance of having Google mm -hmm. as a main form of search yeah. and how important that is in this environment we live. Yeah. Uh, and so it was misspent because I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like, let's be honest. I had uh, my territory stretched <laughs> from Muncie to Ann Arbor, yeah. uh, down river of Detroit. Yeah. I went over to Sandusky, Ohio, yeah. and then all the way down to just kind of north and east of the Dayton area and everywhere in between. So you're driving a lot. 
Tons of driving. Time away from family. Yep. Time away from family for sure. Yeah. And it's not like you're going to exotic locations. Nothing against no. Dayton and Sandusky and you know what? Muncie, but yeah. My, my Yelp application got so much use from me <laughs> because I'm a foodie. I mean, I spent that many years in the alcohol yeah. and food industry. I, I want to yeah. engrace myself or like, in, like get into it and figure out what's going on in that location that I'm in. Yeah. And so, you know, I would call the wife up and be like, yeah, I'm going to go grab dinner now. Uh, I'm going to go try this place on Yelp. It has four and a half stars out of yeah. whatever. Yeah. And I would eat my food and tell Yelp if I thought it was crappy or not. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, you spend a misspent year with Carfax. Then where do you go from there? Yeah. And why do you make, well, now we know why you made that change, but where did you go from there? Yeah. So uh, the, the funny story is, so ITI is the company I currently work for as the director of marketing. Yeah. And, um, so ITI is a government technology company, and my wife is actually their original creative director. Wow. Okay. So ITI, huh. pur- ITI purchased a company out of Sarasota called Lightspeed Net Solutions. Okay. And my wife was their original graphic designer. Uh, when they were brought into the ITI fold, uh, she lived in Sarasota and eventually came up here as okay. their original creative director. All right. Um, and Carfax always shut down between Christmas and New Year. Yeah. And in the winter of... 2017, they shut down and uh, Nicole looks at me and she's like, Hey, I have this consulting opportunity with ITI. They want to redo some of their like customer facing one sheeters. Yep. And uh, here's what they have. And she gave them to me and my eyes. I feel like they, they went into the back of my head. Like, what are these people trying to do is like a little novella mm-hmm. of a one sheeter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, you're giving away everything here when what you really want to do is you want people to read this and ask more questions. Yeah. So they come to you like you want to engage. Yeah. It's a conversation starter, not the entire conversation. Exactly. Yeah. And and so we went in and uh, met with a gentleman named Vaughn Swally, who was the VP of sales and marketing at the time, uh, Drew Nicholson, who's now the president and CEO. Of mm-hmm. CEO. Uh, and basically I brought in some of the material that I was given from Carfax mm-hmm. because they they did it the right yeah, way. Yeah, sure. Right? Sure. And and it was fun because I had no skin in the game and I could just sit there. My wife was the one being paid. I was there as a, as a favor. And I presented their sheets and my sheets and I said, you guys are doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. You guys are giving the card away Yeah, and it's ridiculous. You need to reduce this. It needs to be no more than five to 10 points. Yep. It needs to be visually appealing. You got to figure a way to connect them all together because that's what you want to do. Yeah. Um, and and at that point, they had one full-time marketer. His name is Keenan Fuller. He's my marketing analyst now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just graduated college and they decided, well, all right, we, we, we think we need a, another full-time marketer. All right. And so it was a great opportunity for us. Uh, the office at the time was three minutes from my home. Okay. Uh, my wife and I were... Uh, finalizing the process to adopt. Yep. And so we were about to have a brand new baby and I needed to be off the road. All right. So, so, so let me, this may only be for me, but let me connect yeah. a few dots. Yeah. So you met your wife when you were working in the um, food and beverage industry. Yep. Was she from Sarasota, but had moved to Fort Wayne or did you meet her in Sarasota? Oh, convoluted. All right. Oh my goodness. My wife is uh, born and raised in New York City. All right. Uh, I, I love to tell people this because it's such a part of her history. Yeah. Um, her grandmother is a Holocaust orphan. Oh, wow. Um, you know, she she grew up in a traditional Jewish family uh-huh. on Long Island. Yeah. Um, her grandfather ran a publishing company in downtown New York City, wow. Manhattan. Uh, they mm-hmm. lived on the Upper East Side. Yeah. Uh, very different lifestyle from anybody I'd ever met in my yeah, life. Yeah, sure. Um, when she turned 13, her grandmother passed away from cancer and her family moved to Las Vegas. Okay. So my wife being the massively creative person that she is, 
she uh, she sang and got a scholarship, and she graduated from the Las Vegas School of Performing Arts. Wow! Um, and then uh, she was accepted there into uh, University of Nevada Reno, where mm-hmm. she actually was pre med. Wow. Uh, okay. Yep. <laughs> when she was 19, her father passed away in a car accident. Oh, jeez. And her mother picked up herself, uh, her three other children, and moved to Sarasota. Okay. And then Nicole followed shortly after. All right. So how long did she live in Sarasota? Uh, I would say probably close to 10 years. Okay. I think I think, I think every stint has was been- about 10 years. Like 10, 10 yeah. to 13 years. I asked that because one of the former guests on this podcast who also works at Asher is from Sarasota- moved to Fort Wayne to work for Vera Bradley okay. and married a guy from Fort Wayne and now they have kids and now she's stuck here instead of Sarasota. I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt that they know yeah. each other. I mean, yeah. they're both from a creative yeah. standpoint. I bet you it's very possible. All right. Okay. So we're bringing worlds together here. All right. Yep. So here is the $60,000 question. I don't even know what that phrase means, but I just used it. Here's the question. ITI, what does that company actually do? Because I've I've read it uh-huh. on your LinkedIn profile, and yes. I think I understand, but help me out. What what does the company do? Yeah, so from a public-facing standpoint, we like to keep a pretty low profile. Yeah, that um, will help me, keeping it low profile. Yeah, Right. So uh, <laughs> we are basically a government technology company. Okay. Uh, we go into various jurisdictions, mm-hmm. uh, specifically with their motor vehicle agencies, mm-hmm. or here in Indiana is the BMV, mm-hmm. uh, and we help them automate processes, uh, bring new technology in where it once wasn't available. Okay. Uh, we help them save time, save money, Okay. Um, all of these types of things. And we have different avenues in which we do that. So okay. if you live in Indiana or California, Florida, Georgia, uh, you may be familiar with the, like your motor vehicle agency's kiosk program. Mm-hmm. So that's our bread and butter kind of uh-huh. right now. Okay. Uh, not maybe in the future. But sure. So this is like the self-service aspect of going to, in Indiana, the DMV. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and so you mentioned that when you first started working there, the office was three minutes from your house. They they have an actual physical office in Fort Wayne? The the funny thing is, uh, well, even still to this day, uh, so we used to hold the contract for license plate printing in the state of Indiana as oh, well. Okay. Um, I tell people we manage the process of printing license plates and we have other companies actually print them, yeah. if that makes sense Yeah, sure. from a software standpoint. Um, but yeah, so if you drive uh, on Coliseum Boulevard mm-hmm. across from Triangle Park mm-hmm. is the building that has the big round thing in the front, mm-hmm. that's ITI. Huh. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Yep. All right. I've driven by that building a million times. Exactly. That was there. Okay. Usually, usually I tell people it's the one that has the fountains that used to freeze over in the wintertime. <laughs> okay. All right. So w- what is your role in all that? Obviously, director of marketing, but tell us how you spend your time. What are some of the things you do and what does your team look like? Yeah. I think it's easiest to start with my team. So mm-hmm. uh, I right now have an amazing team of well, one, two, three, five, eight people. Soon to be nine. Okay. And are they distributed around the country? No, nope, they're, they're, all, they're all, okay. all here in Fort Wayne. All right. uh, so I've got three full-time marketers, not including myself. Uh, one is a digital marketing manager. She is amazing. Uh, we just hired a new digital marketing specialist, Tara Bailey. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm finding... Aha, uh-huh, Tara, yeah, who was at Purdue Fort Wayne. I'm finding the best place to take people from is from the public sector. It's yeah. amazing because yeah. they've got so many great ideas, yeah. but they're not hamstringed when yeah. they come over. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and then Keenan Fuller is my marketing analyst. Um, and then I've got five graphic designers and they're split in such a way that they've got like a operational and marketing focus uh-huh. uh, because there's a lot of what we have to do, like redesigning license plates. It's, okay. it's a legitimate thing. Yeah. Um, so my team that I manage, we are responsible for the overall communication, both internal and external of Mm -hmm. the organization. Um, We do very little 
B2G or B2B marketing mm -hmm. uh, because we have a captive audience uh, within the- Yeah, I was gonna say your audience is, yeah. is government entities. It's not yeah. the end consumer. Right, well, yeah. but so uh, I, I joke with our, our CFO, you know, we are a B2B to C organization Okay. So we are not the trusted brand. Mm -hmm. uh, with with the Indiana BNB Connect centers, we don't have to worry about it. Indiana is amazing. They do everything by themselves. But with places like California, California is a kiosk program called the DMV Now Kiosk Program. And uh, we have to run through California and other jurisdictions like California in order to market to the consumer to get mm. them to convert using a kiosk. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's uh, a lot of roadblocks, but yeah. it makes for interesting workdays for sure. Huh. So what are some of the, and again, only share what you're not going to get in trouble sharing, but yeah. what are some of the projects you're working on now? The things that are taking up a lot of your time or headspace or keeping you up at night or making you excited or all those things? Yeah, there's there's a couple really. Uh, the, the biggest one that we've been focused on, honestly, since uh, probably the middle of 2020, which seems like an odd time to start something, yeah. um, is the fact that with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, we were able to open doors that were previously shut. Hmm. And those doors specifically were about the extension of services into people's homes. So so this is one of those things that was always a good idea, but became necessary and therefore viable yep. because of the pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, this service that we offer now, it's called Note to Drive Online. Mm -hmm. um, and so basically every jurisdiction has an electronic version of their knowledge test for a teenager or someone who's had their mm -hmm. license revoked to come in pass the test to be eligible to get their license yep. credential. Um, we developed a brand new program that puts fraud prevention measures in place uh, that captures uh, FR facial recognition to a certain degree, depending uh -huh. on what the jurisdiction will allow. Uh, but we have developed this program to basically allow students and other people to take that knowledge exam uh, at home using a laptop computer or desktop computer with a camera. Um, and that's like the biggest thing that we're working on. And mm. it's interesting too, because, you know, there are 66 states and provinces across North America, and that's 66 different ways to market, 66 different entities to work with marketing. Yeah. And so my most recent call has been with uh, the Colorado Department of Revenue, mm -hmm. working with their communications team to help develop logo and branding and messaging and FAQs for their future online testing product. Wow. Yep. Huh. That's pretty amazing. Um, so that sounds like a big project. Any other large rocks that you're trying to move in your day-to-day -day work? Yeah, my, I think my biggest rock right now is uh, is large corporations like Kroger. Okay. And Albertsons companies, things All like right. that. Try, trying to do what with them? So our kiosk program that we mentioned before, we are not necessarily in any, we got five locations in Indiana and Kroger locations, uh, Goshen, Plymouth, and then three in the Indianapolis area. So this is where you can do DM, BMV or DMV in Indiana? BMV here. BMV, okay. Yeah. Where you can do BMV business at the grocery store? 100%. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so we have uh, we have 250 retail locations-ish. I'm probably not accurate on that number. Wow. But in California alone, huh. uh, the vast majority of our retail locations in Georgia are in Kroger locations. Um, but yeah, so when I say our, that's our biggest thing, uh, myself and a gentleman named Justin Branscombe, uh, we have been working diligently with these corporate entities trying to get a foothold. But, yeah. but we are not the, you know, multi, multi-million dollar beasts that Pepsi or Coke sure. or Jack Daniels are. Sure. Uh, we are this, you know, little revenue share transaction yeah. model. So, so yeah. what's the incentive for someone the likes of Kroger to have that kiosk 
in their location? What's the incentive and what are some of the perceived barriers, things that get in the way? Yeah. So the incentive right off the top of my head, one, we we have a revenue share. Mm -hmm. Uh, For every transaction, the retail organization gets a cut. Yep. Uh, And then the other one is perceived and it's the idea of incremental sales. Mm -hmm. You know, if you convert someone to come into your store that may just be coming in to renew their vehicle, well, I'm going to get a Coca-Cola as well. Or, and then the the other one is even more beneficial. We're going to help you steal your, your competitor's traffic Mm -hmm. because you're offering them a benefit that they don't have. Yeah. So, and a lot of these retailers, their number one priorities are, are increasing their loyalty members and increasing their app usage. So it's our intention to work with them to get our information where they want to increase that traffic. Yeah. And it's just been an uphill battle. Well, especially in a world where through the pandemic, uh, delivery of groceries and I'm just going to go to the pickup and not go into the store yep. has increased, I would assume exponentially. It's harder for grocery retailers to get people to actually set foot in the store and make those discretionary purchases. Right. And my wife tells me all the time, like she would rather me order groceries from Kroger rather than go, because if I go, well, you know, we need this, we Mm -hmm. need this. I'm going to throw an extra bottle of wine in the cart, things like that. Whereas, you know, if we order online, be like, man, for this week, we're like $30 under our weekly budget. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. But these are the stories that grocers tell us too, which is why in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, we partnered with the Albertson division to uh, basically do like bag stuffers, which is like the simplest form of getting messaging out. Yeah, sure. For for every pickup order that they had, uh, they put one bag stuffer Mm -hmm. in, in hopes that the consumer would see it and then convert back to coming into the store once the time was ready. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So a little, little sidebar question, a little bit of a palate cleanser before we get to the speed round of the show. Yeah. What is something that you think is either a misconception about um, DMVs, BMVs, or a hack that you've learned that people should should know? Other than maybe maybe it's use the kiosk instead of waiting in line. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll say this, uh, speaking as a person who's pretty much always lived in the state of Indiana, yeah. it's not a hack, but just to say we should all be appreciative. Okay. Because the processes that Peter Lacey and his staff down in Indianapolis have put together mm-hmm. uh, have made our lives immensely better. Uh, I tell jurisdictions when I go to travel with them and I'll be in Georgia two weeks from now. If in Indiana, you wait more than 15 minutes to complete an entire transaction, you are doing something wrong. Yeah, And that's been, it's th- th- that way. I, mean, I can't say my entire life because when I was younger, you know, getting my license at 16, you had to wait a little bit longer. But uh, Mitch Daniels, when he came in, mm-hmm. basically shook up the whole apple cart with yeah. the BNB. Uh, it's not, a, again, not a hack. But, you know, if you're listening to this and you're in Indiana, you should be grateful because yeah. other places like California and North Carolina, you're waiting three plus hours just to get a vehicle yeah. renewal or license. Yeah. Renewal. yeah. Well, I can say for sure that on the on the continuum of expectations versus experience my BMV experience has been way better than my expectations are. Yeah. It just has a bad reputation, maybe undeserved. But yeah. when I am walking in the door, I have this sense of dread. And then I always leave saying, you know, that wasn't half bad. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think regardless of the jurisdiction you live in, if you really want a hack, yeah, like no joke, like all of these states, all these jurisdictions have put together uh, online appointment setting for a reason. Mm-hmm. And every jurisdiction, if you find their website, will give you a list of 
all the documentation that yeah. you need before you go in. Yeah. Make an appointment. Make sure you read those lists because they'll tell you everything you need. That way you don't have to come back. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest complaint that people have is like, oh, well, I wasn't ready. I, I had to come back. Well, it's because you you probably didn't read everything you needed to. Yeah. Well, and, and so much of the, so many of the things we complain about are our own fault. You know, we have yeah. these bad habits. Mm -hmm. I was with someone at a Panera the other day and I'm like, let's just, you know, there was a line and I hate lines. And I was like, let's just go to the kiosk mm -hmm. and order. It's right there. No one's in line. This person was like, no, we have to stand in line because that's what I'm used to. Yep. And I was like, this is really stupid. Yeah. But it's that force of habit that I don't, I don't know how to do that or I don't want to change. So I'm going to do the thing that actually costs me time. Yeah. And <laughs> do you know what the funny thing too is? Uh, so we, we always have this debate in our meetings. Uh, the state of Michigan gave us just some amazing data based on demographic usage mm -hmm. of the kiosks. And so if, if I were to ask you what you think the right age demographic for hmm. kiosk use would be, what do you think it would be? I would guess it's 25 to 39. Okay. So the actual highest percentage of users in the state of Michigan are 50 to 69. So so why is that? Well, think about when when ATMs were introduced, yeah. right? Yeah. So so that age group 20 30 years ago mm -hmm. was that, you know, 20 to 30 to 39 age range. Yeah. And at that time they were early adopters of new technology and they've continued to evolve with that technology. Mm -hmm. Therefore our, our biggest user, of course, 50 to, to 69, our second biggest user would be the demographic that I'm in, you know, it'd be a 30 mm -hmm. to, to 49. Yeah. Um, huh. My, my leadership will argue with me till the day is yeah. dark, but it's, huh. it's kind of amazing. Well, it's hard to argue with data. So that's good that you're looking at the reality. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's pivot to the speed round of the show. And the first question I want to ask is about career fulfillment, career success. You've tried some things that didn't work. You've done some things that you loved, but decided to make a change anyway. What have you learned in all that? What's your best piece of advice for people who are looking to be fulfilled or successful in their career? I'm finding more and more, and honestly, this is a discussion I had at lunch today. Uh, I feel like in a career, you should stick to the one thing that you love, but you need to be knowledgeable enough in areas outside of that to to advance yourself. Let's be honest, I don't have a college degree. Mm -hmm. It's my experiences and my determination that have gotten me to this point. Mm -hmm. um, I have recognized in recent months even that I love working with customers. Mm -hmm. And the knowledge that I've gained from hotels, the alcohol industry, Carfax, and my experiences with the government jurisdictions yeah. I work with now, allow me to make better relationships and make or help my jurisdictions and help my relationships make informed decisions. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, I want to be a relationship person, not necessarily a marketer. Yeah. Because I want them to trust me and I want them to trust that I'm going to give them my best advice, uh, regardless of the benefit to me. Yeah. No, that's great. I, and it's similar. I always say I'm a problem solver. I just happen to solve communication marketing problems. Exactly. That's what I try to be, I should say. Yep. So yeah. All right. Great. So the second one, um, we've already kind of gone down this road with the DMVs and BMVs, but I'll, I'll have you speak about ITI. What's a misconception about your organization that you want to clear up or maybe more uh, relevant? What is something that people don't know about your organization that you wish they did in fact know? Uh, I, I think one of the messages we don't do a great job of getting out is the fact that, uh, and, and this is a big buzzword in the government communities right now, we are truly a company that's extending access. Uh, you know, lately we've had a lot of discussions around DEI and the discussion on equity specifically. Mm -hmm. um, like, I know we charge a fee, mm -hmm. 
a lot of organizations charge a fee, whether you're DoorDash or whomever, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, DoorDash is extending access. Mm -hmm. It's giving people access to things they may not have. Yeah. We're doing the same thing. Um, a lot of our kiosks in the state of Michigan, the state of California are, are cash. Like we accept cash. Mm -hmm. uh, previously, you know, there may have been people who work paycheck to paycheck or don't maybe be underbanked or unbanked yeah. that, that don't have access to a credit or a debit card. Um, that's what we do. We, we allow them the ability on their time to take care of services that need to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's all about equity access. It's all about making sure that people are able to complete these transactions. I tell people when I was growing up, my mom worked two jobs and it would be hard for her to take time off of her job, yeah. hourly wage yeah. to go and sit in a BNV for three hours. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right. So if a kiosk was available to her at the New Haven Kroger, then she could have stopped by on her way home between the two jobs, done it in two minutes, been on the road and been able to take care of her family. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, that's great. Um, along those lines, uh, how much attention do you have to give to ADA compliance Ooh. with the kiosks? I'll, we take it a step further. Yeah. So like ADA compliance is huge with the physical spaces, mm -hmm. um, but because we are also uh, government focused mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to digital services and things along those lines, uh, we are fully 508 compliant as okay. well. So okay. you have to take that visual component into it. We're actually working on a retrofitting every single one of our kiosks. And we have about a thousand across the nation um, to allow uh, both visual and hearing impaired access. Okay. Uh, we have uh, Braille that's being installed. And I'm not sure if you guys are aware, Braille is expensive. Mm -hmm. Like I'm talking the, I think we, we'd spend tens of thousands of dollars to be able to retrofit all of our kiosks with the proper Braille. What makes it expensive? Is it the materials? Is it the intellectual technology? It's, it's the material. Okay. Yeah, absolutely the material huh, and the process they use to make them. So, so it can be durable. Yep. Huh. Interesting. I never would have, never would have guessed. Yeah. And honestly, the, the things that you find out when you have to think like a person who cannot see, it's absolutely amazing. Like, all right, I'm at this kiosk and for the most part, I can touch with my hands up right in front of me. However, there are times when my hand has to be inverted. Therefore, the Braille must also be inverted. Mm. And so, you know, you're reading from left to right. Well, you move your hand and invert it. You're now reading from right to left. Mm. Like just thinking about the different access Jeez. points that, are, uh, you know, you've got to make it happen. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Um, last question. Is there a tool, a trick, a tip, a hack, something you use as a marketer that you think other marketers would benefit to know about? And it could be something super simple. It could be technology. It could be analog. What's something you rely on that others might want to know about? My team. All right. Right. Okay. I, I'm a firm believer that you surround yourself with people who are way smarter than you are. Yep. Um, I classify myself as a generalist. Yep. But Cassie Southers and Tara Bailey are specific. They are, they are pinpoint on digital marketing. Mm -hmm. You know, Keenan Fuller is uh, an analyst. Andy Curzon, he does great copywriting mm -hmm. and he helps me with yeah. my print material. Uh, you know, Nick Kohlmeyer does websites and he evaluates where users go and how best to lay out a website. Um, and then, you know, my, from my design, other operational design team, you know, the three of them, they're, they're amazing at uh, taking something that's already been created that needs to be recreated, mm -hmm. but exactly 
and making sure that they do it the right way. Yeah. So yeah. So so you're more of a convener of those skills than a doer of stuff. Absolutely. All right. Well, you and I are a lot alike that. <laughs> I say I say to people all the time, I don't really do anything. I just gather the people who do the real work and then get out of their way. Right. At the end of the day, uh, I think the hardest thing to do is is creating something from scratch. Mm-hmm. I can I can write something from scratch no problems like give me a day to think about it i'll put it together and then i'll send it to andy for copywriting and he'd be like hey great start i went ahead and made all these edits yeah so at the end of the day i I think creating something from scratch is extremely difficult Uh, i'm fortunate enough to have a team surrounding me that takes my chicken scratches and turns them into something that's polished and beautiful yeah well that's that's the secret is surround yourself with really great people and you will all of a sudden get better at what you do yes yeah all right i'm gonna throw one more wild card question at you as a self-proclaimed foodie yes what's your favorite restaurant this could be local this could be national because this podcast could be heard anywhere around the world sure uh for what meal uh let's say dinner dinner yeah and then let's do the other two why not okay um Dude. <laughs> or it doesn't have to be your favorite. It could no, be I, a favorite. I was going to say there, there are just so many yeah. choices. Uh, for dinner locally, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I mentioned it before, Wine Down. Okay. Uh, my family and I love to go to Wine Down. All right. Uh, Aaron Butts, if you don't know Aaron, he's- Is it called Wine Down now or is it Copper oh, Spoon? It's Copper Spoon. Okay. Sorry. All right. I Sorry. thought I was behind. I yeah. No, 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 no. That would yeah. be, be me. Uh, but but Aaron Butts is their executive yeah. chef. He's the one that started Golden yeah. uh, years ago, which was on the forefront and maybe yeah. just too mature for Fort Wayne back yeah. then. Uh, but yeah, probably for dinner. And a super cool interior too. There's yep. like these nice little nooks where you can sit. Yeah. Okay. Sure. All for right. Sure. What about one more? Another uh, one? For brunch. All right. Uh, anytime we go down to visit uh, my best friend and his wife in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. uh, we, we try to make room for Milk Tooth. For okay. Brunch. It's on, All right. uh, I think, Virginia All right. uh, between downtown Indy and Fountain Square. Okay. I've heard great things, but I haven't been there, but I'm going to Indy in June, so I'll have to check it out. Okay. And well, my best friend's the executive chef for Sun King. All right. So make sure you stop there as well. I will do that. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun getting to know you a little bit better and hearing much about your story. Thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks to everyone who took the opportunity to listen to this episode of the Asher Marketing Podcast. We'll be back next week with another great guest, and we hope you'll join us then.